Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to COVID Chats, where we talk about the tangential and contiguous issues surrounding the SARS COVID 2, otherwise known as the COVID 19. This is the only place where you can have an unfiltered and uncensored conversation about the impacts of the pandemic. I'm your host, Mario M. Christie. And I'm your host, Mr. Long. We are now living in Corona time. And the only way our nation can ensure survival is for us to get with the program. Eleanor, we still have to work on that. <laughs> COVID-19 isn't going anywhere. It will be a defining factor in our lives and livelihoods for the foreseeable future. Though a critical public health concern, COVID-19 is not just a public health issue. It is a social, economic, and environmental issue. COVID Chat is a program that will delve into all the issues and the impacts caused by the COVID-19 pandemic as well as our national response. How will we address our national and global sustainability needs during this time? This initiative is powered by the Jamaica Climate Change Youth Council. We are a youth affiliate of the Jamaica Climate Change Advisory Board and this is in partnership with Environmental Solutions Limited, the Caribbean's leading environmental consultancy firm. We want to welcome everyone to today's discussion. Thank you for joining. Please share with us on social media using the hashtags, hashtag COVID chat, hashtag Corona time, and hashtag environmental sustainability. Don't forget to follow us on social media at orfootprintja on Twitter and Instagram, at ESL Caribbean on Twitter, and at Envirosol, that's E-N-V-I-R-S-O-L on Instagram. Today is the third of, of a series of chats, and we are going to be exploring the topic of food security and sustainability. In our last chat, we looked at how climate change and environmental health impacts personal health and what that meant for us as a small island developing state. This week, we are building on that by looking at how climate change and the environment impacts food security. We will be assessing the frameworks existing in Jamaica to address these impacts, considering our lived experience through COVID-19. As such, the focus of today's discussion will be food security from different perspectives and the different dimensions of food security. Part two of the conversation will look directly at sustainability, that is ensuring the availability of food during a crisis and what that looks like for Jamaica. For this session, we have two special guests with us today. Two people who have been doing stellar work in advancing both the environmental and the sustainability agenda. We have with us Mrs. Anne-Marie Goldburn, a senior environmental analyst here at Environmental Solutions. And we have with us Yannick Page, Business Development Consultant and Program Lead for Market Entry USA. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us, and congrats on doing this amazing COVID chat. Thank you, Yannick. So at this point, I'm going to ask both of you to just share a little bit about what it is that you do um, in, your, in your different um, professions. And I'm going to start with Anne-Marie. Thank you, Mario. And hello to everyone who has joined us so far. Um, I am Anne-Marie Goldburn, and in my capacity as Senior Environmental Analyst at Environmental Solutions Limited, I'm involved in 
working on various projects in environmental management, in disaster risk management, in climate change adaptation, um, and my background in agricultural science and natural resource management as well has, has put me in a position where I have been exposed to working with the Ministry of Agriculture um, in doing work as well to build their environmental and social sustainability in what they do as well. Okay, thank you, Anne-Marie. And Yannick? So I'm a social entrepreneur and I've spent my career focused on social and economic justice. Right now, I support Caribbean businesses to be able to expand to their diaspora in the United States and also doing a lot of content, um, television content, as well as just um, writing that supports entrepreneurship, small businesses, and more than anything else, the economic advancement of the average person. Thank you. All right, thank you, ladies. Um, it's very interesting, and I think that um, you're doing very good work in advancing not just the environmental agenda, but our sustainability agenda and putting those systems in place. So just a reminder for everyone who hasn't joined us before, um, this is a very interactive conversation. It's, as we said, it's an unfiltered space. So I really encourage you to join in with whether you put your comments in the chat box or you can ask a question directly using the raised hand feature in Zoom. Um, you can chime in at any time. You don't have, we're not doing a presentation style and you have to wait till after. So anytime a question comes up, please feel free to ask or a suggestion. Just remember to keep the questions and comments short and spicy. We only hear for an hour and a half and we really want to hear from everyone. All right, thanks Eleanor. I think today I may be the main culprit in, in extending this conversation because <laughs> security is really my passion area. Um, so when I tell people about what I do, I first tell them I'm a food safety and security consultant, but really and truly I'm an environmental consultant. At, um, um, well, let's get to it. According to the Food and Agricultural Organization, that's an agency of the United Nations which focuses on achieving global food security for all, food security is defined as a situation that exists when all people at all times have physical, social, and economic access to sufficient safe and nutritious foods that meet both their dietary needs and food, preference, food preferences for an active and healthy life. So we see that food, food security is really a multidimensional concept that goes just beyond growing and selling farm produce. Further, amid the global epidemic being experienced now, we face a significant challenge as it relates to the risk of food shortages and its implications for social and economic stability. This is because COVID-19 has restricted movement globally and one of the many impacts that the virus has had on the move, has had, sorry, is the movement of farm produce from the farm to the fork. And for those who don't seek food, um, food safety or security, that means we want to move the food from where it is grown or produced to our plates, which is at the end of the supply chain. So what we are experiencing in a real sense is that due to the closure of massive hotels, the complete lockdown of the tourism industry, restaurants and other places of entertainment, in addition to reduced opening hours of marketplaces, and the lockdown of major populated areas, so we see a whole heap of things happening, there is an excess of produce at source that is highlighting major challenges that we have as it relates to our food security framework in Jamaica. And I think we can all agree that we have challenges 
with that framework. So as it relates to the definition of food security, um, what I want to know from both of you, uh, Anne-Marie and Yannick, what do you think are the main points that need to be addressed in developing any kind of framework around this issue? And I want to start this off with Yannick. So I think Mario has been championing the need for a food security council and for um, policymakers to take into consideration, um, you know, in, in a very comprehensive way, how we address food security. You know, I think primarily when we look at Jamaica's population size at 2.8 million people, when we look at um, how many people are are at the poverty line, the fact that 50% um, of the workforce earns just about at the poverty line, right? And so we have, we, have, we have a significant portion of our population that is in fact working poor. And the, therefore, the, the most important thing is actually for me, economic access, right? That, that part of the definition that deals with economic access to quality, nutritious foods. And I think, you know, the fact that we have seen in Jamaica proliferation of um, non-communicable non -communicable diseases, many of, many of those related to diet, uh, we know we have specific challenges in terms of that. So it's not just about um, looking at farming and looking at moving produce from the farms to the people. It's also looking at whether or not we have in place food banks, for example, whether or not we have that level of access, whether or not we can apply some subsidies to some foods, right? And whether that should be something that is contemplated so that we have better quality foods available to, to the large portion of, of, of people. And I just want to quickly add that as a reminder, you know, 50% of Jamaican children are on the PATH program, which for those who, who aren't aware is the program um, for advancement through health and education, which specifically supports those families that are poor. And Mario, you know that not everybody who applies to PATH actually um, is approved. So you have far more applicants than the 50% of those children who are on path. And so there's an opportunity there to provide um, nourishing food. Uh, and you know, this should also be a part of any food security, um, you know, comprehensive policies that we develop. All right, very good points. Um, I like that you mentioned the, the non-communicable diseases because we'll jump back to that in a, in a bit. And Marie, what do you think? You're, you're muted. Yes, I realize. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I, I, I concur with what Yannick indicated. Um, she, she raised some points, re social safety nets that really do um, assist in terms of feeding the population, um, the PATH program, the school feeding program. What I wanted to highlight was that Jamaica does in fact have a food security, food security and nutrition, food and nutrition security policy. Um, it's a 2013 document. And I think one of the things is when you have a policy is to be able to take your policy to the next steps where you can have actionable items that are implemented. But I just wanted to highlight um, in terms of where we are. Um, so 
Oh, I also wanted to highlight one of one of the because the whole issue of food security is a global issue, and we here in Jamaica um, are faced with within our country trying to meet that demand within our country, and there are. There are environmental climate change. There are other implications that do impact our food supply and being able to meet our demands. I won't go into that fully, but um, Yannick raised a point where there is one thing to, to meet those demands there with the physical things that we need. Um, one, then we have the social safety nets, and then we have being able to have people having the income earning opportunities so that they can have the purchasing power to be able to afford um, food sustenance, um, yeah. you know, in their lives. And just to touch a little bit more on, on having that sustainable su supply, we are threatened here in Jamaica with climate change, drought situations, water shortages, which do impact our ability to supply even our local markets. And so um, whilst we look at the social safety nets, I think everything has to be holistic. We have to, all the pieces have to fit together so that we right. can achieve mm -hmm. this major thing. It is, it is not this one activity or that one activity, but really that holistic approach where when the pieces fit together, we actually do achieve that food and nutrition security that, that we seek. Right. So, so I would add to that then that Yannick's suggestion of a food security council would be the way to go because right now people will tell you that they have um, actionable uh, targets and uh, activities for, for achieving food security in Jamaica. But then when you look at that, it is spread across so many different ministries and so many different government institutions that you're and they don't communicate with each other so what you are saying now with the pieces fitting together in a in, in a wholesome way to create that experience that we're talking about that is where we need to go and i think the council i'm agreeing here with any other council really is what we need one central repository of knowledge around all the issues relating to food security that we can tap into and, and ensure that this becomes a reality for Jamaica. Very good points. Thank you for that. Um, so what I've been doing um, since COVID started was I've been, I've been looking at the issue of food security from various perspectives. And, and I want to share and I want us to explore some more. So I've broken it down into three based on the definition. So we have business development and sustainability. We have environmental and we have the nutrition aspect. So we're talking about how we feed the people to ensure that they, their nutrition is sustained. So let's say the first one, business development and sustainability. Yannick, how would you say we are faring in this aspect and what do we need to do differently in incorporating this approach in our, in our, in our general um, approach to food security? Is she still here? Where is it? Daniel, uh, Eleanor, what's happening with Yannick? Okay, thank you. Oh, okay. Was, I've been allowed to unmute, thank you. <laughs> uh, so that's a great question. I mean, you know, a few years ago, I think in 2016, the um, President Obama hosted his final 
Global Entrepreneurship Summit as, as President of the United States. And I was fortunate to, to be able to attend that along with several other Jamaicans. And we had a fantastic Jamaican who also pitched at that, that summit. And the, the, the entrepreneur who prevailed and who won the pitch competition at that summit where you had you know, um, entrepreneurs from all over the world who, who participated was one who focused specifically on he had he had actually engineered a grain that was low in cost but very high in nutritional value and you know that what what that entrepreneur did was not just to 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 to, to create um an innovation but also to actually find markets and it was fascinating because he then went back to his community um in 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 one of the asian countries to invest in teaching women how to farm, right? And how to plant this. And so the effect was you have women farmers who are now earning more because they are, they are planting higher value products, right? Higher value produce. And then there are markets for that. And then it has higher nutritional value. So if you look at that perspective, you know, I think for, I think for me that provides that has it, it remains one of the best possibilities I've seen in terms of a way to look at this. So that what we start looking at is how can we start focusing on nutrient dense foods? How can we make sure that the farmers are economically best paid for what they produce mm -hmm. by making sure that they use their lands and their tools to to get the highest and best return? And then how can we make sure that it is um, accessible enough so that it is nutrient dense and you know we have the wider population being able to access that so i think for me that that really is a platform that i would love to see us a model that i'd love to see us actually look at right and just do that and see if we can look at different initiatives that can support that right so so what i'm hearing is one we need to make we need to make it more inclusive so we we make it attractive for for all the different as um demographics of society to, to participate in agriculture. Um, we also need to, to move to a space where people accept these GMO foods as being safe, because there's a lot of talk about GMO foods versus non-GMO foods now, and we'll have to address that in a whole other session because that topic is very sensitive. And then now we have to close the gaps um, as it relates to how we pay our farmers for their produce. So we have to to look at a whole system that makes agriculture more attractive so we can increase the uptake. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that's exactly what you're hearing. And key okay. to all of that is innovation and training and retooling and literally reimagining Mario. You know, I think, I think what we really want is for people to stretch their minds to come with very creative solutions and just look at things differently. We don't want the same old, same old. Now is a time when, you know, this is a post-COVID-19 COVID chat and now is a time when we really have the opportunity to really think differently. Right. Thank you, thank you Yannick. So, Anne-Marie, you have significant background in agricultural land and natural resources management. Um, do you think that Jamaica and the wider Caribbean focuses much on the food, food, water, land, energy nexus in our approach to feeding our population? Uh, 
Thank you, Mario. Do, do I think that they repeat the question? Let me do just... you think that Jamaica and the wider Caribbean focuses on the food, water, land, energy nexus? So how do all of these things interplay and are interrelated in our approach to feeding our population? Okay. All right. Well, of course, all of these things interplay. Um, as humans, we need food, we need water to survive. Um, traditional agriculture you, you would say traditional agriculture is very land and labor intensive, right? And so with competition for land, like in the Jamaican space, competition for agricultural land for housing. And so we, with issues such as those, we have lost some of our fertile ground already to other types of developments. Um, you know, we have, we have issues where persons are not necessarily encouraged to do agriculture. Um, agriculture is faced with constraints related to climate change. So climate change brings about the extended drought seasons that we see, the water shortages, things that make farming difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. I know farmers that um, when it comes to a certain point in the drought, they literally just stop farming until the drought is over because it's just, it's just too much for them to handle. You know, then you also have the flip side with climate change. So when the drought breaks um, and you have rains, you have these high intensity rains that are short duration and they, and they come with eroding of your topsoil, they come with flooding and they come with another set of issues, um, which we, we cycle, we deal with these things every year. I think the, the important thing for us when we look at food security is how we deal with these issues in a sustainable manner. There have been some projects in the past, you know, you know there are a lot of projectized uh, things that help to address issues in specific spaces, um, not just in Jamaica, but I would say probably it's common across the Caribbean. So you would have different programs under the Climate Change Adaptation Fund where they bring in technology, train persons, help persons, invest in drip irrigation technology, um, mulching training techniques and stuff that really do work in some areas. And, and you see the opportunity where these, these pilot projects, these single things can really be scaled up um, to be used in other locations so that farmers who have got it right in some locations can adopt similar technologies in other areas across Jamaica. And so that level of scaling up, that holistical, uh, holistic sort of development that I, that I spoke to earlier is really essential so that the pieces can fit together properly. And the best practices that have been, have done well um, can, can be more wide scale. And I think those type of things can bring encouragement to people who've seen it work. You know, um, I'm just gonna, gonna throw up another picture here. Um, aquaponics is one of the things that, that one of these projects um, bring up. And it's one of those things where you utilize less land space, because remember mm -hmm. I indicated that it's one of those land intensive things traditionally that we are used to. And the fact that there is, there is space for innovation um, in agriculture and I don't know that the awareness that needs to take place is there so that persons are aware and encouraged to do uh, I don't know if you're seeing a screen um, guys yes. we're just throwing up a picture of one of the types of innovation 
mm-hmm. uh, works well. I, I remember working in one area in Clarendon and when they brought the technology to them, the people were so excited to, to, to do this thing. It's, it's actually vegetable farming mm-hmm. where it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of aquaculture um, utilizing the waste and stuff that you would have in that system to become the fertilizer for your lettuce or, right. or your whatever. And, um, and it's not as land intensive. Um, so it's an integrative approach. Um, it's ecosystem friendly, it's environmentally friendly. There are so many positives, you know, and I think that um, those little projects stuff that we see in Jamaica, if they are more holistically put forward, you have that educational campaign that goes with it, you know, that, that business support that goes with it as well, because when you bring this to, to somebody, um, to bring them into a, an era where they can contribute to food security and earn an income at the same time, you, you know, you have to build skill sets as well. Right, so that training aspect becomes very important, and so that that um, those challenges that we face, there are there are some known solutions that we can, you know, scale up, you know, scale up and 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 utilize them to our advantage. Um, I have a question on that. Sorry, Mario. Um, do you think that the learning curve associated with um, switching to some of these? um more sustainable technologies do you think that that's a deterrent for people or um you think it would be easier to retrain skill sets um i i can't say directly that it is necessarily a deterrent i've seen where persons are enthusiastic about new technology as in persons that traditionally do the the, the farming, the way, dig the ground, older folk, mature folk, you know, it, it was a project where we had a lot of consultations and they, they were excited to learn. Um, I, I think one of the things though is there's an opportunity where we can use the lessons learned from some of the end products of these projects and, and, and use that. So even if there are issues like what you raised, okay, some of those issues in terms of steep learning curves because I'm sure it's it's not it's not a, I'm sure it's a reality for some right I'm sure it's a reality for some and so lessons learned and information sharing should help in let's say next training that can take place and stuff like that okay hi I, I don't know if I can ask a question is Danielle here Hi everyone. Um, I, it's a tack on to Eleanor's question about the learning curve because in our discussions on agriculture we're talking about full-fledged farmers who some of them been farming for five years, some of them been farming for 50 years. Um, as always I like to bring the youth into the conversation even though I'm not really so youthful anymore, only in spirit. Um, <clears throat> uh, for example once I went to Dominica and they have a lot of schools that employ um, hydroponics, they employ greenhouses, and so they have kind of integrated farming and agriculture and the, the, the understanding of the supply chain into not necessarily their curriculum, but actually the function of the school. So they grow crops that are then give, um, put in the canteen um, or, or, or form a part of their school food, food school feeding program. So my question is, um, 
do you think that there is an opportunity for Jamaica to really introduce this type of um, integration of, of these agricultural technologies, not only to the rural schools, but some of the schools in Kingston, we're a pretty green country, even in our very urban centers like Kingston and Notorious and so, so is there any benefits? And do you think that would then encourage not necessarily people to go into large scale farming, but maybe to have a little garden or something in their backyards where possible? That's my question. I, I like what you have said, Daniel. I think that um, I've seen in several rural schools in Jamaica that already do some of that farming that does contribute to the school feeding program. And, and to be honest, the feedback is at the end of the day, students feel so good that they have brought something to perfection to the table where they can all enjoy, whether at a breakfast program or something. And so that, that level of integration does exist. And I think you have hit the nail on the head. There is opportunity for us to expand. I think one of the things is subjects like, um, like agricultural science, that is offered in some types of schools is not necessarily offered in every school so that this type of school program is so easily you know, transferable, but it can be done. I think it is an opportunity that we can take. A lot of urban schools have space, you know, have a lot of, some of them have a lot of green space that can, that can be put. And, 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 and to add to what Eleanor raised about the learning curve, I think that could also steer the minds of the youth so that they um, are so deterred from, from feeding that agriculture is this thing that them grandmother did that was you know coming out of slavery or, or whatever it is that negative stigma that might have been associated with farming that this thing can be something that they can make money it's innovative there's there are a lot of opportunities and I think doing it in the school is definitely for sure an opportunity to help with the learning curve and as well to encourage the youth Okay. So we have another question from Moya. Hi guys, can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Muted? Just jumping on to the point raised and answered by from Daniel, answered by uh, Mrs. Auburn. I attended a rural school, and I would have loved to have been able to the agricultural sciences. Maybe not while I was in school, I wasn't really thinking about it at that time, but as an adult, I realized that there's so much that I do not know, especially when it comes to these things that can be innovative in helping us to attain food security. So how do we go about getting these policymakers to understand that agricultural science in school is really important so that we have it being taught and being offered at every level in schools across the country and not just select high schools. Very good point raised, uh, Moya. And, and, and maybe I'm going to draw back on the council or, or the point of um, that cohesive, that collective joined up government wherein um, different ministries can, you can push things within the curriculum of the ministry, through the Ministry of Education to achieve certain things. So if you, if you as 
say the Ministry of Agriculture sees this as an opportunity and can push that agenda as part of the whole for food security, um, I think that approach can be taken forward with the discussions at that council, that critical place where all the pieces fit together. Um, I think that's an opportunity. One more question here from Mrs. Jones. Okay. My, mine is not a question. I just want to follow up on the points that are being raised. And um, it, it really is exciting to hear about projects and, and the potential. I'd just like to support the point about um, expanding on lessons learned. Um, Anne-Marie Reyes showed us an um, aquaponic opportunity. And I think, we're, I think we are missing a lot of opportunities because again, my favorite hobby horse where we just operate in silos. And if, if somehow we can get um, some of these messages across, um, children in schools, I have found I've been a judge over the years in different ways and environmental enthusiasm in these schools. And I've, I've, sometimes I, I was a little heartbroken because there, there was all this enthusiasm and the teachers and the young people didn't have the right level of guidance mm -hmm. and so I think that now coming out of, of this pandemic, pandemic and the importance that we're seeing with respect to food supply but we really need to find a way to, to communicate and to promote but doing school school gardens because you have some the people are always ready to plant trees yes because that's important for shade and so on but we need to look at ways to do the gardens that that take up modern technology so the shade houses the aquaponic things i think are a grand opportunity that we really need to foster and we need to foster it in the schools and foster it among young people as as much on, on regular farms. People are looking for different ways of earning without so much back-breaking work, so to speak. And you, you've, raised the, you've raised the profile of farming, I think, um, as, as um, I think Anne-Marie was saying, or somebody before her, where it, it's not seen as something that is just labor and but new technology. And, and there's a lot out there for us for us to do for it for it to be picked up so i i just want to endorse that and right, thank you thank you mrs jones so basically what i'm hearing a lot of is that we have a lot of gaps that we need to fill and on mrs jones point this the conversation that the last covid chat conversation that we had you know it was pointed out that as small island developing states and i i can speak specifically to jamaica we don't have that sense of pride when it comes to certain things and so you find that our approach to some of these same issues that Anne-Marie would have raised in terms of how we treat land and water um, is, not, is not up to the standard that we want. So we need to now move to, towards engendering that kind of attitude. And I think Nikita was the one that spoke about it in the last chat to say, you know, institutionalize certain things, how we, how we view um, STEM education that has a lot to do with how people are able to receive the kinds of um, environmental advocacy and such that we are trying to present to them. So Eleanor, Daniel, we have some work to do. Um, Mrs. Jones just gave us a task, you know, in terms of how we get 
would get the attitudes in these schools raised and, and to just show people that you can be a part of the solution. It doesn't take it, it doesn't take high level decision and bureaucracy and the technocracy and all of that to get things done. Everybody can chime in and everybody can play a part. Um, before I continue, let me just apologize. Um, Yanni had a power cut and so she was disconnected from the chat. So we are down one guest. So Anne Marie, you're on the spot. You're on the spot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or Eleanor, you want to fill in? You want to fill in? Wait. Come on, I was just saying an uh, uh, example of why we need to be transitioning into renewable energy as a country. Right. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's continue nonetheless. All right. So the definition of food security, and we're going back to that from FAO, says that food security exists when all people, and I want us to just assimilate this, all people, at all times have physical, social, and economic access to food. Access for me is ensured when three things are present. And these three is that the food is available. So that means at all times when we need it, the food is present. It is accessible so that we can get the food to the people and the people can get to the food of their preference. And that's looking at the social aspect. The first one, availability, was looking at the physical um, component. And the food must be attainable. So that means simply that people must be able to afford the food. Yanni could have pointed out that at least 50% of, of um, our population who are working are earning at the poverty line. 50% um, of, of students are on path. And we know that we have much more persons who would have applied to be on path. So the economic access or lack of economic access is a reality that we're facing. Since COVID-19, a lot of issues have been highlighted regarding these three things. And somehow I feel like I've skipped over something, but I'm going to get back to it. Um, but the question here, um, Anne-Marie, um, with respect to the points, the points that, we've, that I've just made, how would you assess our response to the food security issues that we have been facing? So I know you would have spoken about um, some of the things that are happening um, within climate change that are promoting uh, agriculture. We would have spoken about how persons have responded to some of the solutions that you would have presented in those specific instances. But as a country, how would you assess our response to what you see um, have been the, the issues with food security? Mario, um, okay, so we're looking at how how Jamaica has has responded to all these three key areas you refer to, right? Availability, accessibility, right. and accessibility. Right. All right. Um, well, in terms of availability, food is available at all times. Uh, we are. I I wouldn't say we're quite there yet because. We still have a high food import, a very high food import bill. Um, there, are, there, are good, there are some good things that are in place in terms of 
initiatives to address climate change issues, initiatives to um, modernize agriculture. There's, there's a new program now at the ministry called Modernization of the Agriculture Sector, where they're you know, developing agroparks and doing, doing all of these things to, to encourage persons into farming, to, to put more land into production, to basically increase what we have available. The quantity, when you look at availability, is what is there enough and is what is there available at all times. You know, there are, there are a lot of things that are still seasonal. And um, also, what, if, what is there is that what people want? Because right. remember, preference is a big part of it. Right, right, right. Um, and preference also does influence the food bill too. Mm -hmm. The bill. <laughs> Um, you know, so, so, so there's that, there are, there is the fact that we are, we are susceptible to external shocks too. And so when we can't get some of our raw materials that are imported, even in our food processing, mm -hmm. um, that also impacts our ability to produce the food, not just raw food, but the processed, that's, right. that's post-production stage as well is, is, is impacted. So I would say that we are vulnerable, you know, we're vulnerable to not just the shocks that we as Jamaica face in terms of climate change, but we're vulnerable to the shocks of other countries. You mm -hmm. know, the, we import corn and our soybeans and our, our grains for, you know, animal feed and, and, you know, all the other raw materials that, that um, we rely you know, we rely on these things. And so we do have a way to go. We do have a way to go. I don't want to, it seem like I'm just dwelling on the problem alone. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess we really have to look into the supply chain, you know, the inputs to get that, the various outputs that we have and really tackle the different elements of the supply chain and see how we can strengthen these strengthen these so that they are not as vulnerable or, 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 or to minimize the, the vulnerability of these different aspects um, and inputs to, 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 the, to the food that we eat, to get that mm -hmm. input that we so like to see when we go into the supermarket and on the shelves. And, and, and that really does take it, takes, it takes joint up government, it takes the different food players because when, when you're talking about um, food security and having all the available food there at all times, you're talking about ensuring that you, you know, your plant production, your, your, your animal production, your health and disease, your food safety, your, you know, all these different ele elements, the legislation that supports these, the things that impact what we can export and import and all of these things work together so that mm -hmm the supply is always there and you know there, there are things that impact impact our supply as as i indicated and so um really boils down to as a ministry looking at the the supply chain and and the, the various inputs and, and each in a very specific way with targeted to, you know targeted solutions for each of these things so that we can attain that sustained availability um, across the board. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, in terms of accessibility, um, the food, food can get to the people and the people can get to the food. Mm -hmm. it's, um, access, access, um, I'm trying not to mix up the access 
by being able to afford the food. Right, so um, we, talk, we, 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 we call that unattainability. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so access means that you have access to it. It's there. It's there mm -hmm. for you to purchase or for you to get whenever you want. Uh, and so the import and the export dynamics does in, influence that accessibility, um, as I indicated before. Um, the, the availability of raw materials, um, the, the social status of different persons and, and if their ability um, to, 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 to go where they need to go to get what they need. Um, I would say that in terms of accessibility and attainability, the, the social safety nets that we mentioned, the looking at tackling poverty reduction strategies specifically can help with the economics because if people have an income and can support themselves, that for sure definitely um, puts them in a position where they can always be able to afford food, um, which is such a basic necessity. Um, already we know that there are, there are struggles with this reality in Jamaica. And so the social safety nets that exist does alleviate the, in, the immediate burden, mm -hmm. but that's not a permanent, social safety net is not a permanent, permanent solution. Mm -hmm. It just kind of get you from the rock bottom, um, but really, tackling it from a poverty reduction side of things. I think that is where we would need to go in terms of putting in the social interventions, the social infrastructure that help people to get a step up so that they can be in a economic position in their mm -hmm. personal, their family lives where they can consistently be able to access and attain food um, at all times. I think that's, that's where I would, that's what I would say. Thank you very much. So, so we, we really just need to close all the gaps and, and as you've been saying since we started, ensure that our approach considers all the factors and is, and is wholesome. Uh, Mrs. Jones, go ahead. Um, no, um, I'm just following up on Anne-Marie's point about the supply chain. Um, I don't know if I missed somewhere earlier in the conversation, this whole link of food security with climate change, um, water availability is a critical input right. for our agricultural sector. And we know that we have a problem in Jamaica with sustainable water supply, um, which is not unrelated to changing rainfall patterns. Um, and so we have to consider as we're looking at food security, we have to look at the technology which, which is necessary to be introduced and to be diffused across the agricultural sector so that persons who are planting, whether you're planting the traditional way or you're using aquaponics or you're using shade houses, the, all of which are maybe more efficient in terms of the use of water, that, mm -hmm. that this becomes a critical factor. And, and I think it was Anne-Marie too, or some spoke about a joined up government. Um, again, breaking, understanding the supply chain. What are the inputs that are critical to, to having um, our farmers, whether farmers are the traditional agriculture or whether they are school farmers or, or what, what are the inputs that are necessary to make them successful? 
Now, one of the, talking about projects, one of the things that we have been working on um, here at, at Environmental Solutions related to climate change is a technology needs assessment. And technology, what, what is it? What, what is the technology that is that that can be introduced to improve adaptation in the light of, of climate change for the agricultural sector as one of the sectors that we have looked at and also look, we also looked at at water and there's a, a tremendous link um, be, between these and it's it's important what 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 we have found one of the things that that was was enlightening for us is that from RADA again through you know all the consultations they were making the point that as we try to improve um, farmers output and help them along um, it is often said okay facilities are there farmers are not picking it up money is a, a major factor but one of the key things is that the farmer if you give them a loan you have to have the availability of money tied in with their cycle of ability to pay. So they can't take a loan today and then you tell them that they need to begin to pay next month or even the month after because their crop cycle would mm -hmm. not allow that. You have to give the time for the crops to come so that they can earn to be able to repay. So this has been a, a tremendous barrier to, um, to farmers picking up picking up on, on these resources. And if we really want to move ahead with agriculture, we have to consider coming back to the supply chain, which includes the, the traditional inputs that we would think about, but also very importantly, what is, what is it, where, where does climate change come in? And it's not just crops because also the business of animals, how we manage them, what, what's the relationship I heard the business of disease mentioned earlier. So all of these, factors must be brought to bear but they, it shouldn't be done in such a way that it seems overwhelming if we take bits and pieces and have have the inputs be specific to the relevant circumstance so for, by that i mean if you're dealing with schools and you know that water is a critical thing and maybe even space so you might want to see how we they work with shade house small nurseries and 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 um and and then have the water with drip irrigation or or some form of efficient supply if you're dealing with the farmers outside you might want to start with the, the small acreage which is one of the things that was said mentioned to us that you start with small acreage you put in you put in the system your finance the system for the farmer to get going and you have the repayment schedule such that he can earn from his um, from his crop that has matured to be able to expand and so on. So while we, we can talk food security and we can talk um, in a general sense, I think we need to, to drill down into, again, the supply chain and have the supply chain considered in its widest perspective in terms of what is it that is going to be needed to make it a success. So we become results oriented. The result that we want is the production of X crops or the management of X or Y livestock. What do we need to make that happen in a particular place with a particular set of stakeholders? Okay, so 
Um, so I, I want to ask you then, no, Mrs. Jones, you, you said that you said a lot of important things just now, but I, what jumped out at me is the need for an inclusive approach to how we are addressing these issues. As you mentioned about, you know, giving the loans to the farmers, the farmers, but then expecting them to start repaying a month or two after when their crop cycle is probably half a year to a year. That speaks to a lack of inclusion, knowing the needs of the, of the, of the customer and, you know, their ability to meet whatever requirements you have. And then now, um, the whole idea of centralizing the approach to, to addressing some of these issues, because if we're looking at adaptation strategies for the agricultural sector, um, that, is, that is one point towards food security. But then, as you rightfully said, looking at the supply chain in its entirety, because is it that we need more land space for agriculture? Is it that when we, are we saying to the farmers, these are the crops that we really need. Are we talking to the hotels? Are we talking to the people, um, the citizens of the country outside of the tourism? Because what we've seen, um, and I've hoped I've hoped the decision makers have seen this, is that if the tourism industry stops, then the farmers' livelihood stop because that's their major um, client, right? So, what then? do you think, do you make of the approach that we are taking to address the issues that you just highlighted? Because to me, it seems that from the, from the, from the, the top level, the people who come up with these project concepts and ideas, that they are really not looking at the whole picture. Yes, I, I agree with you entirely, Mario, and I like that you have introduced the term inclusive because that's really what it is all about it is planning with the, the, the relevant stakeholders and not just stakeholders on block but who are we addressing at a particular point in time and we, we include them in in the process because what is good for the for the small cash crop red pea um, sweet pepper farmer may not be be good for a, a, a longer term um, larger scale agricultural output you have tree crops, you have cash crops, you have vegetables, you know, with fruit farming. What, what is it that we want? And, and I think it comes back to something that we, I don't know, I've, I've heard that we do not have an overarching strategic plan for agriculture in this country. And wow. that's a very serious thing, if that is true. Um, and, and that's, we, we need to begin to look at that because if you don't have an overarching strategic plan, you don't know where you're going, we continue mm -hmm. to hip, hip hop around the place. And then when we have drought, the farmers are, are, are starving. When we have floods, the farmers are starving. And it's, it's unfortunate because in the past we had a, I remember several years ago, there was a land capability assessment that was done that looked at not only not only soil type, but also availability of water and those kinds of things for what kinds of crops could grow what best in certain areas. Mm -hmm. We need to, to go back to some of that, but I hate to use the term go back because we really ought not to go back. We need to go forward, but right. we need to look at what, as you have correctly observed, what are the needs? What are, what are the needs of our local population? What are the needs of our, 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 our um, hotel sector and other areas that, 
that utilize schools, boarding schools, all of these kinds of things. What are the needs and how can we best meet these needs? And um, we, we can't just keep talking about it and writing papers. We need to get out there and start implementing because we, are, we are full of studies. We are full of policies that many of which remain in draft. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to get out there and start acting and, and, and perhaps your, your, your group can, can begin to play a role with, with this communication and highlighting some of these issues in, again, as you have used a very appropriate term, the inclusive way. So you, you get, you don't plan for people, but you plan with them. You plan with the farmers, you plan with the livestock managers and, and so on. Thank you, Mrs. Jones. And I hope Eleanor and Daniel listening to the, the call to actions that we're getting. <laughs> so we have a question. Oh, <laughs> we have a question here from Matthew. Matthew says, um, what role does consumer preference play in food security? Um, the issue of food security generally speaks to healthy foods or foods that people need to live a healthy life. The poor and most vulnerable are essentially forced to choose the lowest cost foods to survive. So my question is, how, would, sorry, how much attention should be paid towards addressing food security in terms of preference versus food security in terms of health, safety, etc.? Um, I feel that like we addressed we um, addressed this in some ways before, but Anne Marie, I don't know if you had if you have anything to add to this comment that Matthew had made. Yeah, we, we I mean we touched on it earlier. Um, people will always have their preferences. Um, that that does impact in reality our food import bill here in Jamaica. Um, but, but food food security is food safety, it's more than food safety, it is the supply of wholesome foods, uh, all different types, uh, variety, um, at all times, that's really what we're talking about. And so as persons may have their preferences, um, as a country, we ought to be looking at our own, uh, our own supply here in Jamaica, what we produce and how we can produce what we produce better and why the variety of what we produce and doing this in, in a way where we just discussed with the joined up government, with looking at the supply chain and all the varying inputs um, of food and water and, 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 and land and, and, and how we we not just look at inputs, but look at the threats to the inputs like climate change and drought, as, as we already discussed, and tackling those to strengthen them, um, make them less vulnerable, and, and, and um, doing this in a holistic manner and in a way that we can do enough. Right now, there, there, there is more demand than there is supply. I know with COVID, it, it, it's on a different turn for us because a lot of farmers had a reliable source of income and and they had their markets mm -hmm. and 
at their market in tourism or hotel or wherever they had it because they got their secure income from that location. And so we really have to look, and when we're not really talking about joint up government, it's, it's a really holistic thing. How can we really get the other players? There are so many supermarkets around. There are so many supermarket chains and shops and groceries and, and all kinds of things. Um, you know, when, when they were talking about people have chicken in Portland and, and wherever, and there are other parishes that would be glad some of that's on sale. Come, come park up your van, let mm -hmm. right, a whole right. bunch of people who would buy the whole truck. And so I, 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 go back to what I said, getting the food to the people. Right, uh, right, right. And so that's all that's the different true. elements of the supply chain really have to be tackled on, on an individual level and not as this projectized um, thing that we have, we have done so often so well. You know, write good projects we get good results and they don't scale up in mm -hmm. the way we would want to see them scale up for the for the national good right so um i hope we have answered um matthew's query but i'd want to add though um you mentioned that people always have their preference that is true um and that definitely affects the market so what we import versus what we're able to grow and unfortunately matthew that's just how capitalism works. But when we look at this um, food security framework that we're gonna be pushing, because I'm, I'm, I'm giving ourselves, Eleanor, that call to action to push, continue pushing this agenda um, in the face of the government, that whatever framework we come up with must be pro-poor. So it should not be a case where just because you can afford at a certain level, it means that your food is less nutritious than the person who can afford at a higher level than you. It must be wholesome straight across the board. And that's where we need to get to. All right, so. Hi, um, Mario, sorry. Daniel, I, I just wanted to say a quick thing because it's really near and dear to me. Two things. One, um, I made a comment just to remind everybody that yes, in Jamaica, our, our, our food security is heavily reliant on our land-based agriculture. But I want to remind people that small-scale fisheries is an important component of food security and poverty alleviation, not just in Jamaica, not just in the Caribbean, but mm -hmm. globally. And if you look at FAO, they have some very interesting statistics, which I'll post in the chat in just a bit, around you know, what role small-scale fisheries has to play. So there also needs to be a focus from us as citizens as well as from our government entities to diversify and strengthen our small-scale fisheries networks. So instead of every restaurant, I serve parrotfish and then you come on social media and blast them and say, why well, serving parrotfish? There are a whole lot of pelagic fish out there that contribute very greatly to the nutrition of the communities that depend on those fishermen. And it, it is an, vulnerable in a different way than, than land-based agriculture. So we also need to focus on that as well. Another thing is that aquaculture is, is another big um, area that we can look into for food security um, that is not as freshwater intensive as, as our land-based um, agricultural practices. So oysters, sea cucumber, some people eat it. Uh, so there's shrimp, for example. So there are different things that we can look at when we're talking about the diversification. And I just want to also reiterate 
that food security, we spoke about preferences and capitalism and what's available, and I forget the third A, but that's also very important. It's about the nutrition aspect of it. So we're not just, it's not only important for people to not be hungry, yes, that's what we're working towards, but we want them to be fed nutritiously. It has great impacts on expecting mothers, lactating mothers, children who are in school trying to learn. So it really plays um, such a critical role in these um, important years and, and development aspects for people. So I just want to remind everybody that when we're talking about food security, for me anyway, personally, it's also about the nutritional aspect of it. Drops mic, sign off. <laughs> right, Daniel. <laughs> so there's really, um, there's really no, you can't claim food security if you can't provide nutritious food. And that, that's really what the tea is um, at this point. So it has to be available, it has to be nutritious, and it has to be what the people want. So if you don't, if you don't, um, if you don't address these three things, then you can't claim to have uh, food security. And Yannick has just rejoined us. Is she here? Yes, um, give her a minute. So while I wait, while we wait on you, I need to, to come back on. I just have one comment though, Daniel, on what? My apologies. I have just I have one comment on what you said about um, especially as it relates to aquaculture, because I know a lot of persons would would say they don't eat panfish because um, of what they think panfish represents or how they view the nutrition um, of panfish versus um, seafish, right? Um, we need to now have a conversation, a separate conversation, because we have to talk about how we educate people as it relates to food quality, food safety, food nutrition, and food security. That needs to be um, and that's going to be an uphill task because I remember recently on the same topic of food security, I made some, some tweets about the different ways we can, we can ensure that we have this. So one, we need the raw material. So we're talking about agriculture, but then fresh food spoil, right? Fresh food spoils and it spoils quickly, some of them. So we, we have to talk about the processing. We have to talk about, we have to talk about how we can grow crops that don't spoil as quickly as, um, as regular crops. And that's where we enter the, the realm of genetically modified um, foods or genet genetically modified organisms. And people don't want to hear that, right? Once they hear GMO, people start talking about cancer, they start talking about a whole heap of things. And there's a mass hysteria around GMO foods. And we need to now figure out how do we have that conversation with our population for them to understand that, listen, it is just like the regular food, it's just that it will last a little bit longer, right? So how do we now have that conversation? Welcome back, Yannick. Are you hearing us? Yes, I'm hearing you. Um, sorry about that. I had a little bit of interruption. JPS not treating me too well at all. <laughs> all right, no problem. So... We, 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 we kind of carried on the conversation, but like now that you're back, I'm going to seek your input on a previous point that we were just talking about. You are one of the persons who have been very vocal about food security and our need to 
to establish a proper framework and proper channels to, to have the conversations and implement the necessary actions as it relates to food security. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read your tweet, um, the one that really inspired me to do all of this. Given the constraints in food production, globally, locally, and with adjusted work hours, shutdowns, et cetera, that was when we were going through, through um, all the rigors of COVID previously. Still going through it, but you know what we're talking about. And Jamaica's heavy reliance on imports, which Anne-Marie have um, touched on, what measures are being put in place to ensure ample supply in Jamaica? That was your tweet. So I had asked Anne-Marie the question, Regarding the points that we spoke about, we spoke about availability, access, availability of food, which speaks to the, the physical um, dimension of the definition. So food being available at all times. We spoke about accessibility. So people can get to the food, the food can get to the people, which speaks to the social dimension. I will talk about attainability, um, where people are able to afford the food, talking about the economic dimension. So with respect to these points, Yannick, how would you assess or local response to the food security issues that we've been facing. What are we doing right? What are we? What are? What areas are there to improve on? You know, I, I will say that I don't think we know enough. I don't think we've heard enough to be able to even make a full assessment. I think the first thing that's lacking is information. So I think that's a big concern, and I don't know if you would agree with me, Mario. But um, you know, so far we've heard well. Yes, um, a food security council should be. Um, should be assembled. Um, we're not sure what the infrastructure is. We're not sure what the framework is. We're not sure what their terms of reference is. We're not sure exactly where this will reside and what the oversight and reporting will be. So I think my, my, my biggest concern has to do with information. Um, my other concern has to do with, um, you know, just whether or not there seems to be a comprehensive understanding of what food security is and what the predictions are globally. And then of course, a marriage of that with the economic realities that Jamaicans face right now. I mean, if you talk to the average um, mother, parent, you know, that person, um, single person who is buying groceries right now, they will tell you that they have seen a sharp increase in food prices. They are spending more as a percentage of their, their small income on food. Mm -hmm. You know, and so when you look at that and when you look at the fact that utilities are also going up, you know, the, the, the concern then is, you know, what, what exactly will the quality of that, um, you know, what, what will be the quality of their consumption? You know, mm -hmm. added to that is that we're not seeing where, you know, the FAO ha had said that we are to anticipate a um, food shortage and crisis and famine of biblical proportions and i think for some they're not under i think there's no recognition as to the fact that when farmers are now dumping um their produce and when you know you have so many people who have slaughtered their um their chickens for example when they have these economic losses what is the plan for them to come back you know what I mean? Um, and what what will happen, you know, until tourism get back, you know, gets back to full production. I, I, so I, I think there's a lot of strategic planning that needs to go on. We need to see, you know, um, a lot of voices at the table, you know, so un, until I see voices like yours and of course, you know, kind of, you know, folks who are competent and also just have that vision, right? I, I, I'd love to see more of that comprehensive strategic approach and definitely more medium and long-term planning. All right, so um, 
I, I agree with you, Yannick, but I'd, I'd like to point out though, it, as it relates to information, I, I don't think there's a lack of information um, as it relates to the, the issues. It's just that, um, and Mrs. Jones and Anne-Marie would have spoken to this before, is the, it's just that the information that is there is so disjointed and exists in so many different places that we needed to come together to paint us the right picture that we need in order to, as you said, implement this strategic approach. Yeah. yeah, and let me just, and thank you for saying that because what it gives my opportunity to clarify, when I say the information, I mean exactly what is happening and where, you know, right. and that, that also is supportive of the infrastructure and of, of, of you know, information is key. Again, Mario, I, I don't know if I missed it, but this issue of food banks, becomes so important because we expect in the next few months, I think the Prime Minister just said recently, um, just this week in fact, that he expects that you know we will really see the effects of the COVID-19 crisis in September when it's time for parents to send their children back to school. Mm -hmm. And so given that we know that that is when we are really going to see and feel the pinch, the question then is, what is the plan? right and how are we going to actually address that and i haven't heard anything in in that regard and that's something that we really need to firmly put on the table as well right thank you thank you for pointing that out because i i have not this i have not um heard that specific speech from the prime minister but next the next session we're actually talking to a member of government as it relates to this is the very same issue so i hope you tune in and and ask them the questions Mrs. Jones um, has a comment. Mrs. Jones, you can go ahead. Well, my comment is, is uh, Mario, I, I'm just happy to see Yannick. Hello, Yannick. <laughs> that, that's, that's just the comment, Mario, for now. Okay, all right, Mrs. Jones, no problem. Hi, right. Mario, sorry, I just wanted to quickly draw your attention to some of the comments that came in from Facebook. Um, yeah, go ahead. So, okay, so Carl Anthony Miller says, with regards to the GMO issue, I think a large part of that issue is due to ignorance. So before that conversation can be productively had, people's scientific literacy has to be improved. People need to understand what the terms mean, not just to be told things, right? So that goes back to know how we have the conversation and where we place these conversations in our society because a lot of these things I think can be introduced somewhere in our curriculum I don't know where um, but we can look at it and STEM education as well is going to help a lot of this because at least when people are exposed to new things they know that you know you don't knock it down same time but that actually find out what it is that um, it's really about somebody said in response to Mrs. Jones Mrs. Jones's comment, financial institutions should be included in the conversations as stakeholders. Um, as a banker, a main concern that lenders have is centered on how we recover our monies. True. Sadness in which the installments are paid. If the government, an arm of the government, stand security, provide collateral for these farmers, then financial institutions will be inclined to undertake lending to farmers for a moratorium to be extended at the front end. What do you have to say about that, Mrs. Jones? Any further comments? Um, yes, thank you for unmuting me. Yes, I, I agree with that. That's exactly the point. And the, the government, it, it has to be public-private. 
we can't be on the one hand saying, oh, we want farmers to produce. We have to look at what is it that, that, that will help them to produce. And a main part of it is access to finance. And mm -hmm. we know what the situation is with access to finance. So how can the government then come in and work with the financial institutions to be able to facilitate this? So I, I agree with that very much. Okay, Yanni, can I have your feedback on that comment? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Eleanor is spot on and she's quite experienced in this area. I will say that, you know, all we have to do is to look at the, the BOJ's uh, reports, quarterly reports on, 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 on access to finance. And it, it tells a story. The numbers don't lie, right? And um, facts have no friends. So the reality is the majority of the, co of the country's um, lending capacity, right? The savings of, um, of investors, depositors like myself, like you, mm. goes into a certain type of um, lending activity. And that is typically for consumer-based products, and it typically goes to medium and large-sized enterprises. And I even know from my time in the bank with in, in risk management, nobody really set targets for supporting agriculture, right? That doesn't happen. Um, that never used to happen, and I don't think that's something that's very aggressive right now. And so I think we need to look at food security within the context of if we don't support um, our local industry, we are going to be extremely vulnerable. And we're right. going to continue to see ourselves importing foods that may even be, I mean, we're worried about GMO, um, you know, but, you know, we, we don't even have the infrastructure to test our foods. Maria, I know you're really passionate about this. So I really want to support that, that, you know, I would love to see possibly some commitments on the, on the part of bankers as to what percentage of, um, you know, what fund they can put aside and then how they can, of course, support the, 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 the risk management to, you know, and maybe look at government offsetting possibly writing off some of those um, risks in terms of, you know, partial guarantees. Mm -hmm. right. Sorry, can I, can I just interject? I like yes, that. Yes, summary. Yannick, um, I, 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 I really do see where the, there needs to be the conversation with financial institutions and the ministry, the government of Jamaica, because agriculture to me is one of those sectors that you need the support of your government institutions. It, it, it cannot be left up to the farmers. It cannot be left up to the small man or even the medium man to do food security. It, it has to be a, a government passion, a government, whatever subsidies, the countries that have, 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 have a, a stand a little bit a chance than we in terms of their food security are those that have government subsidies. And mm -hmm. so as we look at tackling all these other issues I, you know there is still that accountability that really should be there mm -hmm. uh, in order to really make it work all right thank you Anne-Marie so we're we're close to closing and I, I just want us to put this all together in a nice package um Anne-Marie you would have mentioned some of the the initiatives that are happening through um climate change adaptation projects etc um and really and truly in all of this, um, climate change impacts are exacerbating or is being exacerbated by the, exacerbated by the issues of food safety, food security, sorry, because there has been research that has actually quantified the, the, the what do you call it now, the contribution to greenhouse emissions from, from some of our agricultural and um, animal husbandry practices. I'm not even talking about manufacturing because we know about that part, but I'm just talking about land-based agriculture and animal husbandry. So 
I want us to just kind of, you know, pull together all of what we've discussed and tell us, Anne-Marie, how can we boost the resilience and sustainability? And I want this part to be targeted because I want everybody who's listening to understand what we need to do. How can we boost resilience and sustainability within the agricultural sector to improve food security while at the same time combating the effects of climate change? That's, that's, that's a big marks question. That's the one that if you answer this one, you get extra marks. <laughs> Right. Um, so we're boosting food security. We are. Oh, am I muted? No, you're not. You're not muted, Emory. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought I saw something about muted. All right. So we're boosting food security. I think that the several interventions have to work together to to make this thing work. Um, our farming practices have to be sustainable. They have to now be attractive and appeal to the younger generation. You have to have the support from the government, the financial institutions, and all of these things have to, to, they have to come together so that we can achieve food security. When we look at the supply chain, tackling each and every element, even up to post-production and as you indicated with respect to storage of goods, the processing which takes the, the, the raw products to the next level and, and, and tackling all the, the gaps and inefficiencies in these specific areas. Um, I think it, it really needs a holistic picture and, and I think maybe from, from where we're the, the, the advocacy group sits um, lobbying in terms of that, that holistic mechanism, that holistic framework in which the pieces, the puzzle pieces can fit together and not be left in silos, um, along with that public education that needs to take place. There, there is a lot that people do not know, they're not aware of. And, and even just getting such a campaign together, um, it, it, it will take some work to put together. But I think all the pieces have to be put together so that mm -hmm. we can achieve that, um, that food security and nutrition security that we really seek. Okay, thank you, Anne-Marie. From your end, Yannick, I know you're probably not begun on the climate change, but do you have any comments on that from a business sustainability perspective? Okay. Yeah, what's happening? Yeah, okay, I was just going to allow me to unmute it. Thank you for that. Um, so, I, you know, specifically when it comes to, to climate change, I mean, um, you know, it. I think, I really would like to see, you know, I'm a strategic planner and my view is that un until we see the resources, the infrastructure, uh, and we see the budgetary allocation that supports uh, medium to long-term um, strategic initiative around this, you know, it's, it's going to be hard for me to be impressed because that really shows where your commitment is. And I think we need to see the commitment demonstrated in that form. And it's the same thing for, um, it's, it's, it's the same thing for, I mean, just the food security conversation generally. Thank you, Annie. 
All right, thank you everyone for joining us for this week's COVID chat. This ends our discussion, but don't worry, we will be continuing our next chat. Um, I think if we could take three major lessons from today, um, I have quite a few notes here, but I'm gonna sort of bring them all together. Um, first of all, we know that COVID-19 has changed um, the way that farmers operate. It's reduced their most reliable source of income. Um, and what we have to do now is revisit our strategic plan in terms of exploring a holistic approach, the joint up government that we spoke about, um, and figure out ways that we can institutionalize some of the new technologies, the new skills, the new solutions, rather than them being project-based. This will in turn um, improve the access of all of the farmers and fishermen to these sustainable practices. I think we also spoke about increasing our agricultural education, whether it's in schools, whether it's in communities, um, sensitizing young people to it. Um, and I think all of this is basically based around improving the access, availability, and attainability of persons to food, healthy food, food of their choice. We know that they're exacerbating issues by, caused by climate change, whether it is the extreme drought, we know we have a water supply problem, especially in Jamaica. Um, and we also spoke about how to reimagine financing for farmers to make sure that it's more inclusive and it works with the system that the farmers already have in place. Um, so I think that in a nutshell, I hope I touched on everything that we discussed today. Um, we definitely have a lot of points that we need to take into consideration. I know from us, um, JCCC, JCCYC standpoint um, in terms of advocacy, we have a lot of things that we need to follow up on and figure out what's the best way that we can contribute to um, advocacy around this issue. Thank you for that summary, Eleanor. Thank you to our guests, Anne-Marie, for bringing our attention to some of the issues that are already being addressed. And thank you, Yannick, for your particular perspective. Um, on the issue as it relates to the business opportunities because you know we have people like to talk about the money the dollars and cents important so we have to show them how the issues can benefit their pockets so thank you so much for that and thank you to all the guests for your questions and comments it was very nice to host you all our next COVID chat session will be on July 3 and we'll be talking again about food security so we're going again with when hunger strikes Food Security and Sustainability Part 2. And look out for the posters because you're going to be interested in who the guest speakers are. If you happen to miss today's discussion or you want to re-watch or share it with a friend, we'll be uploading to our various social media pages. We've also launched our podcast, in case you missed it, it's now live on Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout is also on a number of different platforms. Just check your platform for COVID Chat. That's the name of the podcast. And we'll be upload we have two episodes up, so we'll be uploading this episode today or sometime soon. Don't forget to follow us at our social media pages. You can find them in the chat box. And if you have any other thoughts for the presenters or anything you didn't get to express within today's conversation, feel free to reach out to us at any time.